Well, this is a gift to see all of you here. As I look out over all your faces, it's hard to believe that there's this many people here on a Thursday night. When we first came to Central many years ago, we wouldn't have even close to this many people on a Sunday morning. So God has been good and faithful to us. We are here tonight, as we have said, to remember our past, to celebrate our present, and to anticipate our future together. But why are we doing that? Well, at least 50% of our congregation has started attending Central within the last two years, which means that many of you are new, and therefore you may still be trying to figure out who we are as a church, what makes us tick, what is it that we're trying to accomplish. Others of you have been attending for years, and you have seen the renewal that God has wrought in our midst on a firsthand basis. And yet even so, you too may be wondering, well, now that we've finished our Restore campaign and have launched Resound Project, what's next? What else might God do in and through us as we seek to make a difference in New York City and in our wider world? So I'm not going to unveil a detailed strategic plan tonight or anything like that, but rather what I would like to do is simply paint a picture. I want to paint a picture of where we've come from where we are now, and where we might be headed as we anticipate the ways in which God will continue to move in our midst. And my hope is that you will join your prayer with ours as we step out into the future together. So what I'd like to do very briefly is say a word about our past and our present, but then focus the majority of our time thinking about our future together. So first, let me say a word about the past. In light of the fact that there are so many new people who have begun attending Central in recent years, it might be easy to think that it's always been like this. But for those who are veterans, you know that that couldn't be farther from the case. If you were to have come through those doors, let's say 20 years ago in 2004, you would have walked into a very dead church. The building was literally falling apart. It was the eyesore on the block. It was a blot in the neighborhood. It was dingy and dirty, and it was wrapped in scaffolding, not because work was being done, but rather to prevent passersby from being hit by stones falling off the facade. It was literally falling to pieces. And if, despite all that scaffolding, you were able to find the front door, which many people could not, if you were able to find the front door, you would not have heard bells as you entered our building, because the bell tower had been empty and silent for nearly 90 years. And we took that as a symbol of the church's sad state of decline. But if you found the door and walked in on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you would not have seen a single child in 2004. You would not have ever heard a baby cry you wouldn't have seen a high school student. You wouldn't have even seen a young professional. You probably wouldn't have seen anyone under the age of 70. And one person quipped at that time that there were so few people attending that you could shoot a cannonball straight through the sanctuary and you wouldn't hit a soul. People felt lucky, fortunate, if there were 12 or 15 people who might have showed up for Sunday worship. And perhaps most tragic of all, if you sat in one of those pews during a Sunday worship service, you wouldn't have heard inspiring, spirit-filled worship. And, and as to the sermon, 
I really don't know what you would have heard. But it was not the gospel. I actually heard the former pastor preach in this sanctuary years before the renewal took place. And I don't mean to be disparaging, but it was shocking what I heard. Now, that day, the gospel text was the parable of the prodigal son. And I figured to myself, despite what I had heard, well, you can't screw this up. The, the, the gospel is being handed to you on a silver platter in the parable of the prodigal son. But this person found a way to screw it up. So the gist of the sermon was basically his own personal narrative. He talked about how he had been raised in the faith, but then when he went off to college, he abandoned his faith in Jesus. And the punchline of the sermon was this. I am the prodigal son, and I'm not coming home. So that was the church in 2004. And most people at that time would have said it was a lost cause. Even that pastor said, this church has no future. It was a lost cause, a hopeless case, just a matter of time before the church shuttered its doors. And yet, here we are. Look around, by God's grace, we have seen God bring this old dead church back to new life. And it's all to his glory. If someone had asked me in the past, well, how did this renewal take place? I would say the answer is easy. It's simple. It's Jesus. This church simply recentered its focus on Jesus. There is no renewal without Jesus. If, if you take your eyes off of Jesus, you're sunk. But if you fix your gaze on Jesus, well, then that's when things really begin to move. And that is what we've all experienced over the years. So where are we now? Well, you have no doubt heard me repeat the line at some point in time that the church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And if the church is meant to be a hospital for sinners, well, then we can use that analogy to describe three stages that we have gone through in recent years. We started out as a field hospital, we developed into a community hospital, and now we've transformed ourselves into a teaching hospital. So in those early days, we functioned like a field hospital. We had very few people, even less resources. And so we did the best we could with what we had. We effectively bandaged the wounded and then got them back out on the field to rejoin the fight. But over time, the situation stabilized. We found our footing. And we evolved from a field hospital into a community hospital. We hired more staff. We put structures in place so that we could care for the personal and the social, the, the spiritual and the material needs of our congregation, as well as the surrounding community. And we talked about how when you place the gospel at the center of your own individual heart and life and at the center of a church, it propels you in a number of different directions. It lifts you up in relationship to God. It draws you into community with fellow Christians. It drives you deep into your vocation and it sends you out in mission. And so at that stage, as we're learning how to function as a community hospital, we sought to equip people in all those areas. We wanted to equip people to discover and experience the transformation that only Jesus can bring, to build relationships with one another across the differences that might exist among us, to pursue the integral relationship between our faith and our unique vocations, and to share the gospel and to serve the city, especially through our dedicated ministry partners. 
So we grew into a community hospital. And then two and a half years ago, we commemorated the 200th anniversary of Central. And at that 200th anniversary, we not only celebrated the completion of our Restore campaign, which enabled us to fix up our little cathedral, but we also laid out a vision for how we might give back because we had been so blessed. We wanted to think through, well, how can we share the people and the ideas, the relationships and the resources that have made Central's transformation possible so that we might strengthen other churches in other places. And we sought therefore to transform Central from a community hospital into a teaching hospital. Now, a teaching hospital like a community hospital continues to provide excellent care for its surrounding community, but at the same time, it seeks to leverage its location, its facilities, its people, and its resources to train up the next generation of leaders. And that's what we've sought to do by launching Resound Project. And at the 200th anniversary of Central, I said, you're not gonna notice a lot of change all at first, but we are laying down the tracks and just give it a little bit of time and you will see this vision come to life as we roll out our three core offerings of leadership gatherings and a library, a library of resources, including the Resound Project podcast and our Emerging Leaders programs. And now all of those are up and running. And the medical analogy is apt because just as a teaching hospital has interns and residents, so we have interns. We're paying for people to go to seminary to get a theological degree and then to receive supervised training here at Central while they're on their way to the completion of their program. And then we also have residents, people who have finished seminary, but they want to receive more specialized, supervised training before they take their first call. So now our church is functioning as a teaching hospital with classes of interns and residents and more on the way. But that brings us to the present moment. And so now the question is, how will we move into the future together? And here I want us to pause. And I want you to stop and, and ask yourself, what is the question that is being posed about the church writ large in America today? What's the narrative? What's the story that's being told about the church with a capital C? Well, most people are saying that the church with a capital C, especially in the West, especially in America, is in a serious state of decline. And it's true. The numbers speak for, the, for themselves. The average congregation in America today is dwindling. It's dying. And the leadership pipeline has completely dried up. We know that there's been a precipitous drop in the number of people who are even considering the possibility of entering into ministry as a vocation. So the church is in a sad state of decline. The leadership pipeline has completely dried up. People are speaking about the great de-churching that is taking place in America today. 15% of Americans who used to attend church at least once a month now attend church less than once a year. They are de-churching. And perhaps one of the most talked about features of contemporary American life is the dramatic rise of the nuns, which has everybody worried. And by nuns, I'm not speaking about women running around 
wearing black habits, but I'm talking about N-O-N-E's, those who claim no religious affiliation. And now 30% of Americans say that they are not committed to anything in particular. They choose none of the above. And some sociologists think that the nuns will rise to be as much as 50% of the population by 2070. So we're facing some serious challenges because those trends show no signs of reversing. And in fact, they might only get worse because older generations are not being replaced by younger generations. We seem to be completely ineffective at reaching younger people with the message of the gospel, which means that as soon as the baby boomers die off, the church is gonna drop off a cliff, not only in terms of people, but also in terms of resources. The financial resources that the baby boomers provide for our churches will be gone. So what's the message? The narrative about the church writ large is that the church with a capital C is a lost cause. It's a hopeless case. It's just a matter of time before the church dies. But you know what? That's what they said about Central too. And our God does impossible things. So what I'd like to do tonight is try to flip the script a little bit. What if all the predictions are wrong? What if all the reasons for why people aren't going to church anymore is because there's no church worth going to? What if the local congregation near them is a lot like Central in 2004? What if the gospel is never preached? What if Jesus' name is never mentioned? What if the church has been compromised by partisan politics on both the right and the left, or it's been corrupted by sex scandals or moral failures or cults of personality? Would you want to go? I don't think so. And so I'd like to give you an image tonight, a, a, an idea, something to latch onto as we think about our, our future together. You see, I think we've reached a point in history. I think we've reached a point in our culture where what we need in America today is a new reformation. We need a new reformation. And I, I don't want that to sound grandiose. And when I say that we need a new reformation, I'm not suggesting that we should try to reenact the original reformation as if we could relive the past. When I was in middle school, I had a teacher who was a history buff and he loved, he loved the Revolutionary War. So every year, he would dress up like a British soldier. He would, he would dress up as a redcoat and travel to Boston where he would participate in a Revolutionary War reenactment. And that's not what I'm suggesting. There are some people who love Reformation history and they think that we could reenact the Reformation today as if we could fight yesterday's battles. But no, we live in a wildly, wildly different world today, a world that people in the 16th century could scarcely have even imagined. And our problems, our challenges are unique to our own moment in time. So there's no going back in the past. We, we can't fight yesterday's battles. But when I say that we need a new Reformation, what I mean is that there are important parallels between our moment in time and the Reformation that took place 500 years ago. And we would do well to pay attention to those parallels. 
So think back on uh, European history. When did you take that? Sophomore, junior year of high school, perhaps? What did you learn about the Reformation? What was the cause of the Reformation? Well, do you know what it really was at the end of the day? It was a credibility crisis. The Reformation took place because there was a credibility crisis. People had lost faith in the church as an institution because of the ways in which it had been corrupted by money, sex, and power. And that's essentially what is happening today. We're experiencing a credibility crisis. People have lost trust in the church as an institution because of all of the cultural compromises that have taken place in recent years. And so, here's the thing that I would like you to think about. If people are no longer going to church, perhaps it is for the same reasons that people stopped going 500 years ago. Maybe the problem isn't out there with them. Maybe the problem is in here with us because we haven't given people a church worth going to. 20 years ago, I had a seminary professor who had an interesting take on the Reformation, something I never really heard before, but it has stuck with me all this time. He would say, and almost everyone would agree, that the Reformation really wasn't an attempt to create a new church. It was an attempt to reform an old one, which had become pagan because of medieval magic and superstition, and it had become pharisaical because of legalism and hypocrisy. Now, almost everybody would agree with that. The reformers, they weren't trying to create a new church. They were simply trying to reform an old one. But this professor said there's a little bit more to it than that. And he said the Reformation really wasn't, at the end of the day, a reform movement. It was a mission movement. It wasn't a reform movement. It was a mission movement. What the leaders of the Reformation were trying to do was they were trying to replant Christianity in European soil. The leaders realized that traditional religion, as it was being practiced at the time, was no longer Christian. Whatever was taking place within those churches was unrecognizable as Christian. And so this professor, his name was Scott Hendricks, he says that he, he noticed at first that, that Martin Luther often used the word Christian. He would call people to think and to act in a Christian way. And, and this was odd. Why did he keep harping on telling people to act in a Christian manner if they already lived in a Christian culture. And then it suddenly dawned on him, ah, the leaders of the Reformation, people like Martin Luther and John Calvin, they rejected the idea. They rejected the idea that they were living in a Christian culture. They rejected the, the idea that they were living in an authentic Christian context. And so they weren't planting Christianity in European soil for the first time. They were replanting Christianity in Europe. They were trying to replant a deeper, more genuine, more authentic, more vibrant form of Christianity. And that is what spread throughout the Western world. And I would say that that's what happened here. The gospel was replanted in a church that had become unrecognizable as a Christian church. 
And that's what needs to happen across New York City and across our country. Christianity needs to be replanted. It needs to be rerooted. And here's the encouragement and here's the hope for us is that we've seen God do it here. And if, if God can replant the gospel in one old dead church, he can do it again and again and again all over the place. And that's what animates the vision of Central Church. That's what animates the vision of Resound Project. And of course, no one person or organization is going to be able to change the trajectory of the church for the better. It's going to take all different kinds of people doing all different kinds of things, but in a widespread and connected effort. And so we should not harbor any delusions of grandeur, and we don't. We have just a tiny little part to play in our own chapter of the story. But the question that I want us to consider before we close tonight is, well, how can we do our part with the time and the resources that we have to, to help spur a new reformation, which is so desperately needed in this moment? Sometimes people ask me, well, now that we've experienced all this renewal, what are we going to do next? Are, are we going to start a third worship service? Will we purchase more property in order to expand our footprint in New York? Sometimes people ask, can we repeat Central Story? Can we pull off Central 2.0? Could we identify another struggling church with a beautiful building somewhere in New York and send people into it in order to revitalize it from the inside out? Or what about mergers and acquisitions? Could we absorb another congregation that's struggling, perhaps in terms of its leadership or its finances? Could we absorb that church and, and help incubate it, help get it healthy again, and then spin it out? Or... Should we plant a church? Could we start a new church? Could we send people out to start a new congregation in another neighborhood in the city? And what I would say to all these questions is that, yes, all of this is possible. All of this is possible if the conditions are right. But it all depends on whether or not the conditions are right. But if they are, then we should be open to that possibility. And we've talked about that among our leadership, that we should always be open to responding to different strategic opportunities as they present themselves to us. But there's one key idea that I want to share with all of you tonight before we turn to prayer. Over the last several decades, many people, churches, organizations have put a huge emphasis on church planting, starting new churches. And in many ways, they've been massively successful. And so people have talked about, well, if we, if we plant 100 churches in a particular area, maybe we can reverse the church's decline. Now, I don't want you to mishear me because I am pro-church planting. If we can start more churches because the conditions are right, then we should. The more churches, the better. Every church that we add is going to help make a positive difference. But I am concerned that the conditions are not always right. And I think that in our present moment, the, the conditions for church planning are becoming even more difficult. And therefore, church planning is not the silver bullet that many people had once hoped. So I've observed a number of things over the years as I've kept my ear to the ground here in New York City. One is that the church planting boom that really took place in the late 90s and the early 2000s benefited from positive demographic changes that were bringing young people in particular back into places like New York, back into our urban centers, and 
a lot of these successful church plants relied on a steady stream of youth pastors and seminarians who were almost ready-made church planters. But as I mentioned before, that leadership pipeline is gone. Somebody once told me that for every 20 churches that are looking for a youth pastor, there's only one candidate who's interested. The leadership pipeline is completely gone. So even if you had all the money in the world to start as many new churches as you wanted to, we don't have enough people to lead them. We don't have enough people to create a core group to make them functional. And on top of that, it is, it's expensive to plant new churches. It's expensive to start from the ground up because with every new church, you have to reinvent the wheel. You have to create all the necessary infrastructure. And even if you were to successfully launch a church, and it's viable for the first two years, very few of them make it to the 10-year mark. They're not necessarily built to last. And so here's the, the big idea. This is what you should leave with. We should plant churches if the conditions are right. I often think that the conditions are much more challenging than they once were, and therefore we don't necessarily need more churches with all the infrastructure, with all the costs, with all the overhead, what we need are more people. We don't necessarily need more churches, we need more people. You know who put it best? Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. We don't necessarily need more churches, we don't need more buildings, but we do need more laborers for the field. We don't need more consumers of religious goods and services. We need more producers of God's love and grace in the world. And we need to shift from an attractional model of ministry to a missional model of ministry. We, we can't spend our time just building churches in the hope that we can attract people to come, but rather we need to send people out with a missional mindset to reach people where they are and to share the gospel through their words and their actions in order to help people discover the truth of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. So we need to raise up more people who we send out from our churches to make a difference in their neighborhoods, their communities, their workplaces, and their schools. And you know what? That is the vision that has animated this little cathedral that we call Central for the last 15 years. Our vision is that this, is, this would be a place that is buzzing with kingdom-centered activity, where the lights are always on. Our vision is that this would not only be a place for worship and prayer and preaching and teaching and discipleship, but this is a place where people would discover and experience the transformative power of the gospel. This is a meeting place where relationships can be formed, where people learn to love one another across the differences that exist among us in terms of age or stage of life or ethnicity or socioeconomics so that together we become a new, small, working model of the new creation that God has promised. This is a training ground for rising leaders who learn how to integrate the relationship between their faith and their vocation so that they might make a positive difference in the world as they seek to be salt and light in public and private life. This is a go-to destination for the sharing of ideas among thought leaders from around the country, both in person and online, especially as we launch our Resound Project podcast and build out our growing library of resources. 
this is a venue for sacred music to be played in sacred space where it's meant to be played and where it can be best be heard. And this has got to be a place where children are both seen as well as heard because we know that the gospel, the kingdom, belongs to them just as, just as much as it belongs to us. Right? This is a teaching hospital where we are rising up, training up the next generation of leaders, and it's a launching pad for mission and service to our city so that in some small way we might make a positive difference as we seek to follow Jesus in his mission to transform lives and to make all things new. And that's why we need you. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's all kinds of opportunities right at our fingertips if we could only raise up the people to help bring it to fruition. And so what I would like you tonight to consider is how can you step up and help? How could you step up and volunteer with our Sunday, social, our, our Sunday service teams or our hospitality team or our connect team? Perhaps it's time for you to step up and volunteer as a community group leader or host because you know what? The demand for our community groups far outstrips our supply. We need to exponentially multiply our community groups in order to meet the need. We can't keep the community groups to ourselves. We have to multiply them because we need more people to lead them. Perhaps you might step up to volunteer with our children's ministry or with our youth ministry, not only because teaching the Bible to kids helps you grow in your faith, but because one of our goals is to create one of the most theologically rich and robust children's ministries on the planet as we seek to bring the heart of the gospel to the heart of every child. If we're failing to reach the younger generations, Broadly speaking, we can't allow that to happen here. This has got to be a place where we raise people up in the church and keep them in the church, and we need you to help make that possible. We need you to volunteer with one of our many mission initiatives with the Bowery Mission, with Safe Families for Children, with Reading Buddies, and we need you to consider taking the next step in your own discipleship. How do you need to grow as a disciple, a student, a learner, an apprentice of Jesus. And in light of the fact that that leadership pipeline has dried up, let me put the question to you. Do you think God might be calling you into ministry? If so, we better talk. But look around. The opportunities are all around us. We just need more people to pull it off. Now is the time for us to try to replant a deeper, more genuine, more authentic, more vibrant form of Christianity in this church and in as many other churches as we can reach. Because as it was 500 years ago, so it is today. The, the problem with the decline that we witness may not be with the people out there. The problem may be with us in here. Let's give the world a church worth going to. Let me pray for us. Father, we stand in awe of the fact that you are the God who does impossible things. We praise you for your faithfulness to us, for the ways in which you have placed your hand on this little church and have raised it to new life, surely by your grace and for your glory. We thank you for the work that you're currently doing among us as a teaching hospital 
seeking to strengthen the broader church for a changing world. And as we consider the future, we pray that you would enable us to be faithful, faithful with our location, faithful with our facilities, faithful with our people, faithful with our relationships, faithful with our resources, so that we might make some positive difference in our time and perhaps spark a, a new kind of reformation, one that is so desperately needed today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said at the beginning, I want to encourage you to join your prayer with ours. So I'm going to invite Abhishek and Ashley and Lauren and Scott and Jamie to come up to pray over us as we pray together about the five core values of Central. So let me invite you all to come up as a group and then you can pray one after another. Please join, in, join me in praying one of our core values, the gospel. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us as a church this evening. Father, we praise you for your steadfast love and faithfulness towards Central in the past, your providential care in the present, and we entrust our future to your sovereign grace. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We praise you for your Son and our Savior Jesus, for his perfect sinless life, his atoning death, carrying our sin and shame on the cross, and his powerful bodily resurrection. Lord, we praise you for the transformative work of the gospel in the lives of our congregation. Thank you for using Central as a beacon of the gospel hope, joy, truth, and restoration. Lord, may the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed from our pulpit in our community groups and through our mission and outreach work resound to the next generation. Lord, may Central continue to create a warm and welcoming community that encourages people, regardless of their beliefs, to investigate the claims of Jesus without the fear of judgment. Father, enable us to be a refuge for redeemed sinners, for sufferers, for skeptics. May we continue to be the church that serves as a hospital for sinners, pointing one another to Jesus, the true physician. Lord, equip us to share the life-transforming story of the gospel through our words and actions by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of your name. Lord, strengthen our congregation, our pastors, various ministry staff, and volunteers to be your instruments of grace in this great city. Be thou our vision, O Lord, of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please join me in prayer about personal transformation at Central. Father, we're so thankful for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you that you did not leave us alone in the struggle against sin and death, but in your mercy you sent your son to die for us and give us everlasting life with you. Thank you that our hope is not in our best efforts or well-intentioned resolutions, nor in those of others, but in the finished perfect work of Jesus who defeated sin and death for us on the cross. Father, we pray for our community in New York City we pray that you would use this central community of believers to allow the good news of salvation in Jesus to reach those who do not yet know you. Father, please use us to share the love of Christ with those in our buildings, neighborhoods, work communities, and schools. We pray that by your spirit, you will enable us to love others well with patience, kindness, and generous hearts. 
and to articulate the truths of your gracious love in ways that connect with their needs. We pray that the upside down values of your kingdom would break into their world, that they would understand afresh who you are, a God who uses the weak to shame the strong, a God who frees us from slavery to sin to live freely for you, a God who loves justice and yet is merciful, slow to anger and rich in love. We pray that our friends and family would come to see that you are a God who loves them, who in your mercy gave up your own comfort and riches to die in their place, that you might dwell with them and transform them into people who reflect your love and peace. God, we also lift up those of us who have already placed our faith in you. With Paul, we ask to be strengthened with power through your spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith and that would be rooted and grounded in love, having strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. We pray for this community of believers through our corporate worship, prayer, and fellowship in community groups, Bible studies, and other gatherings. Continue to remind us of the depth of your love and care for us. Strengthen our faith to trust that you, who did not spare your own son, will also with him graciously give us all things. Father, use Central to help our community to connect and be transformed by you, the vine, so that we might bear the fruits of love, patience, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, peace, and joy. We confess that in our weakness, we are so distracted and thrown off course by the cares of the day. Father, help us to have God-inspired imaginations rather than imaginations overwhelmed by the giants of our culture and world. By your spirit, remind us of your strength, power, and beauty, and, ensure, and assure us that you who created the world and us, you who freed the Israelites from slavery, and you who brought life out of death, you are worthy of our trust and praise. Transform us from people who fear to people who are so confident in your grace and power that we are free to love those around us, knowing that you meet our every need. We know that you are able to answer these prayers far more abundantly than we can ask or think, and we entrust ourselves to your transforming spirit. Amen. Join with me as we pray and thank God for our community. Dear Father, throughout your word, you show us that you are all about relationship and connection. In the garden, you would walk with Adam and Eve. You even said it's not good for us to be alone. You provided companionship. And you did not abandon us after the fall. You promised you would make a way for us to become your people. And then we find out that you would make a way to dwell with us. And your plan was to build a people for yourself. So your heart is for us, not for isolation, but for relationship. We were once strangers, and yet now we have been brought near. This is the building block of the gospel, that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the members of the household of God. You do not only call us to follow you as individuals, you gather us into a community in which we learn to live out the implications of this beautiful gospel together. Thank you, God, for Central and how you've cultivated authentic community here. 
Thank you for the contagious way newcomers see our priority and soon they are welcoming the stranger as well. Thank you for our meals together, how joyful it is for us to be sitting together and talking and eating each Sunday, a foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth. Father, authentic community is hard here in New York City, yet it's vital. Life is busy and complex. The pace of life is fast and always changing. People come and go, and it gets hard for us to say goodbye. We are people from all different backgrounds, ages, cultures, and vocations, and our human nature can gravitate towards the familiar. Father, please knit us together unite us in our common commitment to Jesus despite our differences. May Central be known for its sacrificial love, for the way we serve each other and our neighbors with attentiveness and intentionality. Indeed, Father, I have seen firsthand how we care for one another, how we bear one another's burdens, we encourage one another, and we see one another. I'm so thankful for the way our community groups make way for this one anothering there is no getting around the fact that Christians are to love one another with brotherly and sisterly affection. We are to outdo one another in showing honor. We are to be consistent in prayer, contribute to the needs of one another. Through our community, Father, cause us to be people that seek to be reconciled with one another when we hurt or offend. Cause us to be people who are quick to forgive and renew estranged relationships. We ask that you would continue to build our understanding of Christian community here. Please grow us in our hospitality. May we open our homes, our lives, and our resources to those you bring in our midst as a response to your ultimate hospitality and love towards us. So we commit our central community to you, dear Father. Through Jesus' name, amen. Please join me in praying uh, about our engagement with the world around us. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, for he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Father, we praise you that you gave birth to the created order and we thank you that you've included us in it. We are grateful for our lives and we're grateful for our relationship with you. And in addition to all this, you gave us a mandate and that mandate is to harness this created order and to make it productive, to make it useful for all mankind. And Jesus, when you were here on the planet, you said to your disciples, I, my father is at his work to this very day and so am I. And so you've created us in your image, Lord. You've made us into workers. You've made us into creators. And as we, as we live out that mandate, first of all, thank you that you haven't left us alone. Not only are you uh, here to comfort and to guide us, but you also provide us resources inwardly. And uh, we pray so earnestly for the Holy Spirit to give us genuine direction as we try to live out this mandate this responsibility that you've given us. And as we do, we move out into the world. We move out into clinics and hospitals, 
into the marketplace, into classrooms, into courtrooms, into laboratories. And we so want to have the aroma of Christ uh, be a part of our presence uh, in, in these places where you've called us. And as we're encountering others, Lord, um, we, we, uh, we want to uh, uh, be good representatives uh, and to um, encounter and engage with people in ways that are winsome and ultimately um, cause people to reconsider who you are, Jesus, and uh, hopefully ultimately uh, move in your direction. But we need help with this. <laughs> it's a very confusing cultural moment, Lord, and we need your wisdom at two levels. We need your wisdom uh, to understand this moment, um, just as uh, in, in the many ways that Jason was uh, pointing us towards earlier today, and to really be aware of the cultural trends which are around us. But we also need your wisdom in, in the daily, in our encounters with Mark and with Susan, and to know um, and, to, and to be led to how we can engage with them in a way that will be for their own good. And um, we're reminded of what uh, Paul has given us in the epistles where he, where he says, I've become all things to all people, that by all possible means I might win a few for Christ Jesus. Father, we don't really know exactly how to do that. We have a sense of it. Um, but every day is so filled with opportunity. Every person we encounter is, a, is a, um, an eternal soul. Um, and we, we, we really need your help and we really need your guidance in order to maintain that at the front of our minds and to know how to navigate this world uh, in order to best represent your gospel and all of this uh, to your glory. Amen. So would you join me as we pray for um, God's call to us, to his mission in this world. We praise you and thank you, Jesus. You are our good news. You are our Lord who sought us and saved us. And from that place, you call us to share your, our good news with a grateful and humble heart. We are so grateful, Lord that you are not a God of coincidences, that you are our God who has brought each of us to be a part of your body here on this corner to take part in your ongoing mission to love and save each of us and to bring this light and hope to our city as part of your larger mission to redeem this world. So we ask you daily to sensitize us to your leading so we can, in reliance on your Holy Spirit, have eyes and ears to realize the need around us with our roommate, our children, our workmates, or a person you bring us near on the street who needs a word or a minute or a small act of kindness. Show us how to be on your time clock, not ours. Jesus, we are so grateful for the specific opportunities you have called us to as a church, to be a part of the way you are bringing your kingdom, your justice, and your truth to our city. We thank you and pray for each of those laboring at the Bowery Mission, how they have invited us in 
Help us to not take this invitation lightly, but to be willing to serve so we can witness you at work and do our part and be ourselves changed in the process. We thank you for the mothers and fathers and children who you have given us friendships with through safe families. And we ask you to grow our heart and energy and passion for walking with these families who are experiencing loneliness and isolation. They need you, they need us, and we need them. We praise you and thank you too for the invitation that Reading Buddies has given us to come alongside the families at the Stanley Isaacs houses and for the community of learning and trust and care you are building. Thank you for the bond of joy you have given the volunteers. And, that, and we trust you, Lord, to be showing us how to be a beautiful invitation to you, Jesus, for these families. Jesus, we trust your promise to be making all things new, your merciful work to be doing that in our hearts, and your invitation to follow you into this city you love and be a part of how your kingdom is to come. We pray all these things in your precious, powerful, and glorious name, Jesus. Amen.